Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion team. This is the Hot Stove Report. Going, going, goodbye baseball. On 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle app. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Hot Stove 2020. We are back and getting ready for the new baseball season coming up. I'm Rick Riz along with Gary Hill and Dan, the man Wilson, is here. And Gary has uh, put together a heck of a show tonight. We're going to visit with uh, Mariners first baseman Evan White uh, here in the first uh, hour. Evan White uh, has himself a very interesting brand new six-year major league contract. Here's a kid that was at double-A last year. But I tell you what, uh, the Mariners organization, Jerry DePoto, really loved this kid for who he is as a person, along with being an outstanding ball player. So we're going to visit with uh, Evan White in the first hour. And, Gary, we got a lot of other interesting guests as well. We're going to visit with the new uh, head trainer for the Mariners, Kyle Torgerson, who's a local kid. Yeah. Grew up in Edmonds, went to the University of Washington, played baseball at uh, Bellevue Community College, Bellevue College. So we're going to visit with Kyle as well. And also Brian McTaggart from MLB.com in Houston. And that can be very, very interesting considering – the events over the last uh, couple of weeks, down with the Astros, uh, manager being fired, A.J. Hinch, along with the general manager, Jeff Lunau, and uh, Alex Cora being fired with the uh, uh, Boston Red Sox, along with Carlos Beltran, who never did get a chance to manage with the Mets. But there's good news today, the Hall of Fame. Baseball needed that. Derek Jeter going into the Hall of Fame, along with uh, Larry Walker, who's going to go in as a Colorado Rockies, second Canadian to go into the Hall of Fame, along with Ferguson Jenkins. So, Gary... Dan, we're going to have a lot of fun tonight. It's always fun. It's it, you know, it's always a pleasure to be here with you guys. <laughs> yes. As you guys know, I had to get it in early. I'll try to get it in late too. I but know. Uh, no, no, it's a it's an exciting day. Obviously, spring training about three weeks away from reporting pitchers and catchers. So it's it's getting pretty close, and um, you know, this is the time where things really start to heat up, and and uh, it's exciting. And and uh, you know, it kind of starts with the Hall of Fame and. And uh, seeing a couple guys uh, that, that I played against, it's pretty exciting to see those guys get voted in. Exactly. I I love I I love the videos now that we get when they get the call, like when Larry Walker got the call, because you know it's funny he was following it just like we were. You know he yeah he's online and following, it, and it looked like he was going to fall just a little bit short. But he gets the call, and, I mean, just the emotions. I think he deserved to get in. I'm really glad that he's he's going in. But yeah. uh, to me, there's just nothing better than that, to get that call and watch 
you know, all the emotions, not just him, his family in the background. Exactly. What a great moment. He had his French bulldog yeah. with him. <laughs> That's, right. That's right. SpongeBob SquarePants outfit on. Yeah. I mean, uh, but uh, it doesn't matter if you squeak in. There's nobody in my mind that squeaks in. You get 75% of the vote. You're a Hall sure. of Famer. Or in the case of Derek Jeter, one guy, one writer didn't vote for him. Almost unanimous. Yeah, it was surprising. Although I will say, you know, to me, when when Junior was not a unanimous selection, yes. I was surprised at that as well. And and uh, so this one didn't surprise me because it's you know the precedent was sort of set. So Mariano still remains, I believe, the only yeah. unanimous choice. The and, only one. Yeah, and that uh, you know uh, obviously Jarek was an incredible player for a really long yeah. time and the captain of the Yankees. So you know, congratulations to him. And, exactly. And Gary, I, I read a story just uh, the other day where. I think four people didn't vote for Ty Cobb. Right. Seven didn't yeah. vote for Babe Ruth. Yeah. And, I mean, uh, I mean Sandy Koufax uh, was left off, I think, 21 ballots along with Willie Bays. Yeah, I know? think Jackie so. Robinson was 77%. I mean, yeah. you, you go through the years, and and in the modern age, to your point, Dan, if Griffey's not unanimous, it's yeah. hard for me to get worked up yeah. over anyone <laughs> exactly. else's not unanimous yeah. either. Yeah. I so. found out the three guys who didn't vote for him, though. Yeah? Larry, Moe, and Curly. Nice. <laughs> Very nice. Good. Yeah, that's really good. I know, but it, it's it's great. It was great uh, to see Derek Jeter and to see all those highlights. And you had to play against the guy. What what was that like? Well, you know, he was. Uh, I think the thing that sticks out about uh, uh, Derek is just that he was just a steady guy. He was just a steady player, and and uh, you know, it seemed like uh, just when you thought you had him in some particular way, you thought you could get inside or you thought you could pitch him away. He was just all over it, and and uh, he's just a steady, steady player. You never knew what he was thinking, uh, but he was always so deep into the game, so so locked in, so focused, and and uh, just brought you know. I, again, my sort of definition of a Hall of Famer is a guy that makes people around him better, yeah. and Derek mm-hmm. Jeter did just that. He made everybody around him on that club better. The one thing that I can't—I mean, the numbers just jump off the page—but the thing I can never get past is he essentially played an entire season of mm-hmm. postseason baseball. 158 yeah. postseason games, over 700 plate appearances. That's incredible. That is yeah. unbelievable. But you think about it, you know, five World Series titles yeah. from 1996 until uh, 2000, and uh, the 3,465 career base hits. Last hit was an opposite field LBI single to win a ball game in his last game of the big leagues. And then the one play that stands out, and there was many, what – why in the world was he on the first base line when the throw came in from right field, went by the first base, and he was able to get it in the postseason against the Oakland A's to get Jeremy Giambi trying to score and the backhanded toss along the first base line to get Giambi? And yeah. Maybe things are different. Maybe we're playing the Oakland A's instead of the Yankees. Yeah, and, you know, it reminded me, as you watched that play, it reminded me I once had a chance to watch Wayne Gretzky play hockey and, and – uh, you know, he was, he just found a way to be around the puck all the time. Yeah. And that's what that play with, with Derek Jeter reminded me of. And when you're talking about being in the company with Wayne Gretzky, that's pretty good. I mean, yeah. uh, just they just have a knack to find the ball. They, they, they have a knack of being in the right place at the right time. That's what, you know, great players do. And, and uh, that's, that's what that play reminds me of. And then Larry Walker, good for Canada. Second Canadian. Fergie Jenkins was the first one. I'm ready saying, oh, Canada right now. I'm happy for Larry Walker, former ex-Bo, yeah. who became great with uh, the Rockies and also ended up with the uh, St. Louis Cardinals five-tool guy, and glad he's in. Yeah, and he, he, I don't think he got enough credit for his defense. I mean, you look at his you – know, he, he got the awards, certainly, but we look at the numbers, and he overcame Colorado 
Yes, you know, yeah. he put up a, a ton of numbers thing, yeah. in Colorado, but was able to overcome it to get into the yeah. Hall of Fame. It'll be interesting to see if that helps Helton down the road, who's does, another right, guy yeah. that put up incredible yeah. numbers in Colorado. But that's going to be something for every guy that spends their career in Colorado uh, that they'll have to overcome. You know the stigma right. of playing there, but he was able to do it. And you look at his numbers outside; he nearly went half and half half yeah, his career in the road. Colorado, half his career in other places, and he yeah. still put up really great numbers other places too. So I'm glad he was able to get in. Deserves to be in there. Congratulations, yeah. Derek Jeter. Congratulations, Larry Walker, Ted Simmons, Marvin Miller, Ken Hall, Carlson going in as a broadcaster this year. He'll be along in there with our very own Dave Niehaus. Glad you join us for a Hot Stove tonight. Coming up next, uh, a, a kid that uh, his baseball career is just getting underway, just signed a big six-year contract, Mariners first baseman Evan White. We'll be back with Evan as Hot Stove continues live from our ESPN 710 studios right after this timeout. All things Mariners, all off-season. The Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. Hot Stove continues live from downtown Seattle. This reminder, the Mariners are changing the game with our new, all-new Flex membership. Go to the games you want, sit in the seats you want, and get the savings you want, all when you want. For more information on how to choose your membership and enjoy discounted seats all season long, visit Mariners.com slash Flex. Rick Riz, along with Gary Hill, along with Dan the Man Wilson, along with a very young and talented first baseman. He's going to get a great opportunity. Just signed a six-year major league contract. Had a chance to visit with him briefly in Arizona in October during the Arizona Fall League. He was just down at gas camp uh a few days ago down in Arizona. Mariners first baseman Evan White joins us. How you doing, Evan? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, guys. You're welcome. Are you still down in Arizona right now? Yes, sir. Uh, house ready. I'm getting some work in. So, yep, uh, enjoying the, the nicer weather for sure. Outstanding. Yeah, we were, Dan and I were just down there for the Mariners uh, fantasy camp having a lot of fun. Tell us a little. First of all, congratulations. Not too many guys Thank you who get the double A and get a six-year major league contract. Uh, tell us a little bit about the Genesis and, and how that all came about for you. Yeah, it's a, that's a good question. It, it was obviously, like I said, it's a blessing for me and my family. Um, something that, you know, we didn't necessarily uh, look for. We kind of just kind of fell into our lap and um, definitely took advantage of it. But it was a conversation that my agent had with me earlier on in the year just to, to see if I'd be open to the possibility. Um, and then, yeah, so he, he talked to, to Jerry at the winter meetings, I believe. I, I can't remember exactly what it was. Um, or agent meetings, um, and then he, he kind of told him that he was gonna that we were gonna make the, the offer and a thing, and I went back and obviously talked uh, talked over my parents, talked over my wife, and um, prayed a lot about it, and just uh, felt like it was uh, best for me and my family. Evan Dan Wilson, great to hear your voice, and uh, excited to get started down in Arizona with you in a few weeks. But uh, I, first, I want to jump in to congratulate you first for getting married, and um, you know that's <laughs> that's a huge milestone, obviously. Okay. Uh, the the good news there is that we're, we're gonna, we now share an anniversary. So you and I got to hold each other accountable to make sure we don't forget right. <laughs> December fourteenth. That's, that's perfect. Yeah. lean on each other and uh, we'll, we'll make it happen. There you sure. go. Absolutely. But uh, you know, I, I know the off season's a, a great time. You know, to kind of recharge your battery, get your body going again. Uh, you know, and and now as we get close, uh, you know, we're about three three and a half weeks away from spring training and reporting. Um, 
I know you're getting you know your your mental and physical makeup ready to roll, but is there anything else specifically that you've been working on this particular off season, uh, whether it's defense, offense, uh, you know, part of your swing? Is there anything specific you've been then you know kind of honing in on uh, during this off season? Yeah, definitely. Um, like you said, the, the mental and physical aspect of it has, has been huge so far. But uh, this off season, from a you know a playing side, uh, the biggest thing for me defensively is something I talked to to bone about and that's a short mile up a little bit. So um, just make it easier for the shortstop and, and get to them as quick as possible so they can get it back to me or whoever's covering as quick as possible. So uh, that's been the biggest thing uh, from the defensive side. Um, offensively is really just fine-tuning and really uh, building off of what I've been able to do um, the past couple seasons and continue to learn. And um, I feel like this offseason has been the first offseason where I've been able to have a really good idea on, on where I'm at and uh, not necessarily making big changes, but just continuing to fine-tune and, um, the biggest thing for me is, is consistency with my timing and direction. And um, I was focusing, focusing so much on um, direction with my lower half, um, kind of lost sight of the upper half a little bit. And that's something that J.D. Laker and I talked about a little bit and been able to uh, work a little bit more on um, defend down in Arizona now. So um, it's been exciting, and uh, you know, it's, it's, it's always cool to see some progress and stuff like that, but I'm just excited to, to actually see it um, with a, a pitcher throwing at me. So um, it's, it's been a very good offseason and on and off the field. Let's go back to the end of last year. You were up with the big club, not on the field, but you were around for the last uh, couple weeks of the season. What do you take away from that experience last year? Yeah, uh, that was a great experience for, for me, Logan, and uh, Cal, and just kind of seeing how uh, how it's kind of run up there. Because obviously, you see it from a spring training perspective and everything, but to, to get up there and see how guys are still going about their business in the last season was, was very impressive and uh, very cool to be around and just sit in some hitters meetings and um, see how they break down pitchers and um, stuff like that. Also, uh, seeing what they did pregame defensively. Uh, you know, it's the last week of the season. They're still out there taking their early ground balls, and um, just see that the work they put in was uh, was incredible. And uh, you know, excited to be part of that. Hopefully, in the future here soon. When everybody talks about uh, you, Evan, the first thing they talk about, you know, this guy is is ready for the big leagues uh, defensively. Uh, how did you get so good defensively at at your position? Right now, you're one of the best in the minor leagues, and I think eventually you're going to be one of the best in the major leagues. First of all, thank you. Um, but the uh, the biggest thing for me is just just obviously putting the work in and practicing. And I've always enjoyed taking ground balls and, and doing pigs and stuff like that. And um, it's also a testament to my parents growing up. And uh, you know, my dad, if if we're watching TV or something, having a little tennis ball and throwing me picks in the house, and uh, mom taking me out out back and you know rolling me grounders and right. whatever it might be. Um, but just just stuff like that and just just getting the work in and genuinely enjoying the work and uh, having fun with it. I think has been the biggest key to it. You know, obviously, a lot's talked about your defense, you know, and your offense as well. But, you know, you mentioned growing up. You mentioned sitting there watching games with your dad. Uh, are there players? Were there players? Is there a single player that you sort of modeled your game after, either offensively or defensively? Who are some of the guys that you really uh, respected as you were growing up watching this game? Yeah, I don't think there's one specific person I really modeled my game after. Um, the guys, you know, I really liked growing up. Obviously, I played first base and, you know, pretty much had my entire life. And so Joey Votto, um, Albert Pujols, and uh, even Eric Hosmer. Um, Hosmer is more of a, a guy, I guess, I would compare myself to, like, kind of model my game after growing up a little bit. Just um, good defense. Obviously, all those guys are very good defensively, very good at the plate. Um, just move a little better, I think, Hosmer. Um, I guess I guess Votto moves as well, and I'm, you know, kind of – put my foot in my mouth because I just keep talking. <laughs> um, 
I really think those three guys are the biggest. Uh, I, I watched a lot and um, always enjoyed watching. Uh, right now, I really enjoy watching Paul Goldsmith, just what he does, um, not only offensively and defensively, but on the base path as well. We enjoyed watching you from afar last year and, and the progress that you and Arkansas made. For Mariner fans that haven't seen you play or some of your minor league teammates play, who are another guy or two that you played with this year that Mariner fans should be very excited about? Um, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, honestly, the first two guys, uh, come to Meyer, Donnie Walton, which you guys obviously got to see a little bit and, uh, Jordan Cowan and, uh, also another middle infielder, um, that was down with us in Arkansas. And just those two guys where they go about their business every day. And not only are they great on the field, but just, you know, seeing them work off the field and seeing how their mind works around the game and stuff like that. Not only are they, you know, physically talented, the IQ wise, they're, um, they're awesome to be around. They, they make, uh, everyone else better around them. So, I'm very fortunate to play with those guys up to know this year. Evan, uh, you were part of that, uh, as you just talked about, that uh, Arkansas ball club that had, I think, about eight all-stars on the team. But in the organization, Jerry DePoto's done a great job really loading up the organization with talented young players with the trades he made from a few years ago. And I think there's about, this year, 23 all-stars down in the minor leagues, including yourself. For you, what, what's it like to be a part of this wave of young talent heading to the big leagues with this organization right now? Because we saw a lot of it, uh, you know, already this year. Yeah, it's definitely exciting. Um, you know, those guys that, that we brought in for your draft or, or trade, whatever it might be, it's, um, first off, they're great people. You know, honestly, this organization, the guys that they're filled up, not only are they great ball players, but they're, they're great guys off the field as well. Um, and what, what it really does, I think, is, is just pushes you, um, you know, you know, see guys like Jared Kelnick come up and Cal Riley and Logan Gilbert, those guys that see how they work and, um, it just motivates you to, to be the best version of yourself day in and day out. Um, I think that's been the, the biggest thing for us as uh, we go forward, and I think it's going to continue to be. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun watching you guys at uh, spring training. I want to find out a little bit more about Evan White. Let's go back to your days growing up in uh, Gahana, Ohio, near uh, Columbus. Is that right? Yes, sir, Gahana. Gahana. Uh, were you a big, obviously, a uh, Buckeye fan? And uh, who was your favorite team? Were you the Indians fan, Reds fan growing up there in, in, in Ohio? And who were some of your favorite players as a kid? Yeah, uh, definitely a big Buckeye fan. And my wife, uh, she, she might be a little bigger Buckeye fan than I am, to be honest with you. Um, but uh, it's always fun getting back there and being there around uh, everything during football season. Um, but I actually grew up a Reds fan, um, Reds, Bengals, um, you know, Baseball-wise, some of my favorite players is, um, like I said earlier, Joey Votto, um, Ken Griffey Jr., obviously. And it worked out well. He's a, a Mariners and a Reds guy. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, for sure, for sure. And then uh, pitching-wise, I always enjoyed watching that. Mike Leake, I know he was, um, sure. you know, not, not too much older than me, but I liked watching him, uh, you know, about high school age and just seeing him work. And, um, but there's, there's countless guys. Barry Larkin, uh, you know, just really enjoyed watching uh, those guys growing up. I spent two years in Columbus with the Clippers, and I also did Ohio State football for two years, Evan. So uh, I'm a big Buckeye fan. Wow, did not know that. Yeah, 81, 82, long before you were even born. (laughs) Earl Bruce was the head coach. He took over from Woody, and uh, they they still had some great great football teams. So it's uh, great to have you in this organization. I'm really excited about the future for you and, and all the young players here. Hey, Evan, how much did uh, college baseball help your progression as a, a ball player? I think it was huge for me. And just, just uh, you know, playing against that level of competition and very fortunate being in the SEC and 
you know, facing guys like Alex Fiedo, Tanner Houck, and, you know, Casey Mize, guys that are doing well in, in pro ball as well, um, Kyle Wright, and just, just kind of, you know, learning what it takes to, to compete against those guys day in, day out. And, um, you know, you're facing Bandy, and they got three three first-rounders, you know, coming at you during the weekend rotation. And um, just make sure, not only physically, but, but mentally, you have to be prepared for those things as well. So I think uh, it was just a great learning experience for me. And, and also just getting physically stronger and, and kind of knowing what it takes to, to last a longer season. And obviously college is nearly you know, as long as, as the uh, pro season. Um, but just kind of understanding your body and, and continuing to learn. And um, that's also been the biggest thing once getting the pro ball is just building off those things. But um, it, was, it was an incredible experience for me, and it was definitely the right thing for me. And, um, you know, I'm sure it's, it's the right, fit, right thing for a lot of guys out there. Uh, obviously some guys were out of high school, but um, I, I would definitely recommend college for, uh, for most players. Well, Evan, I tell you what, uh, you're in store for an exciting spring coming up here in the next uh, few weeks. I know you're chomping at the bit, as we are, to see yourself and so many young players uh, this spring. Uh, we wish you all the best this year. We'll see you in the next couple of weeks. And we want to thank you for being on the uh, Hot Stove Show tonight. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me, and uh, looking forward to seeing you guys soon. You're welcome. Mariners first baseman Evan White. And now coming up next, we're going to visit with the new head trainer for the Mariners. His name is Kyle Torgerson. We'll be back with Kyle as Hot Stove continues after these messages. Back to more of the Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. And welcome back to our 710 ESPN Sports Studios. Rick Riz along with Gary Hill and Dan the Man Wilson. And right now here in the first hour, we have a chance to visit with uh, the Mariners' new head trainer. His name is Kyle Torgerson. He grew up here in the Northwest, grew up in Edmonds, went to the University of Washington, played ball at Bellevue College for a couple of years, and he takes over as a head trainer for the ball club. Kyle, thanks for joining us on the program tonight. Great to have you here, and congratulations on the new opportunity. Thank you. Yeah, I, I really appreciate ha- you guys having me. Um, I'm super excited to be back to Seattle, and uh, yeah, thank you. I've got to ask you, growing up here in the Northwest, was Dan Wilson your favorite player <laughs> on, growing up as a kid? Dan's listening, so. I mean, <laughs> I can't. I like When I was growing up, I never thought I was going to be a catcher, but Dave Valley and Dan Wilson, both those guys, holy crap. Like, <laughs> you guys were a big, a big impression for me to be a 10-year-old playing playing ball, so. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, you, good choice on Val. I'll say that. <laughs> and, and But, uh, Kyle, I mean, yeah. what is it like? I mean, you know, I know as a player, uh, had I been given the opportunity, I grew up in the Chicago area to, to play for the White Sox or play for the Cubs. That would be something that's, that's pretty special. But for you, uh, obviously growing up here uh, in, in the Northwest, in the Seattle area, uh, what is it, you know, what are all the emotions going through right yeah. now that the fact that you've, you've got this job here, it's your hometown team, and, and uh, you're ready to get started? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I've always tried to be like, I, this is a big, a big opportunity for me to be a like, part of the team, part of the Seattle Mariners. Um, I, I don't know. It's a difference between being a player and being an athletic trainer because athletic training is so much different. Um, as a player, that's what I thought I always was going to be. Um, as an athletic trainer now, it's just coming in and being being uh, part of the development of the players and just making an impact on the players. So I don't know if that really asks, answers your question, but uh, it's, it's a, 
it's pretty special to me for sure. Tell us about your journey. When did you yeah. know that uh, this is something you wanted to do? Yeah, it's been a long time. So I played baseball up through college, obviously through Bellevue, and then I went out to Northeastern University for the fall season. Um, I quit for personal issues, injuries, slash, um, you know, being away from home. Came back to the UW, and I, I actually graduated my senior year not knowing what I was going to do. My senior year after that, I was like, holy crap, what am I – Am I going to go to grad school for for something other than athletic training? Now I finally found athletic training, and uh, um, I ended up going to grad school for athletic training and building into um, uh, the Kansas City Royals, and then went to the Arizona Diamondbacks, and then you know being with the Arizona Diamondbacks for seven years went into this light this next year so i mean it's been pretty crazy um but it's been a good a good journey for sure kyle uh when i started in the minor leagues in 1975 uh basically training was uh roll some tape on an injury rub some dirt on it and go out there and get them you know it's it's changed yeah. down down through the years how has how much and where and what capacity has your job changed as far as being a head trainer Right That's a great question. I think from when I thought when I went into athletic training, I was like, hey, I'm just going to tape ankles. No problem. Um, from taping ankles, now I know that there's a – I mean, it's – I don't even know how how yeah. deep you want me to get it to get right now because there's positioning, there's how much core exercises to shoulder exams and – I mean, it gets so deep, and that's the big passion. I had a conversation with some of our um, – so I'm out in uh, Peoria with our our, um, our gas camp right now, and it's, mm-hmm. you know, about, you know, velocity and trying to get guys to get better. And I'm having conversations with our um, – some pitching coaches and pitching coordinators, and, and they're talking about, um, you know, positioning and all that type of stuff. It's like, okay, can that guy load his back hip? That's the type of stuff I'm about, biomechanics. I love that type of stuff and trying to incorporate that stuff with our pitching coaches and everything. So, um, you know, from from taping ankles to me being able to impact a pitcher with his ability to load his back hip, like that's the stuff I'm passionate about for sure. So along those same lines, then, you know, I I think about baseball – you know, from a perspective as a player and, and how much analytics has changed, how much the information has changed, um, uh, how much technology has changed the game. But, you know, it's got, I know it's the same for athletic training and, and very similar to what you're talking about. Like, how have those things impacted athletic training? Because as a player, it's, it's incredibly different now. Um, but is, is that true of athletic training from, from when you got started? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think the – the conversations have changed, I think, is the most, the biggest thing because we've always take, taken like range of motions, whether it's internal rotation, external rotation of an, of a shoulder or IR, ER of your hip. Um, I think taking all those, those numbers, not only have we always done it, but now it actually impacts the conversations and, and what pitchers, catchers, 
position players are doing on the field, like a, a hitting coach or a pitch coach may came to come to us and ask, Hey, I don't think this guy's getting in his back hip. What do you think? And like, Oh yeah. Like, let me look at his numbers and he's, he might be limited or, or whatever you might ask. Like I can make an impact, which is really cool because now if I can make a change with a stretch or something I can do in the training room, now he can impact or I can impact the way he presents on the field. So um, those are some pretty cool um, conversations that are happening now. And um, I think it's only transitioning into more collaboration between, you know, hitting coaches, pitching coaches, trainers, strength coaches, managers, everybody's working together now. And it's, it's, it's really cool to be a part of. Um, it's really cool to be, I don't know, just transitioning into this field of collaboration versus just being in silos, which I think, for lack of a better term, is old school. And and we're transitioning into a really cool period right now. I'm guessing you watch baseball a little differently than we watch it or fans watch it. When you're in the dugout watching a game, what kind of things are you looking at? Well, that's a- that's a really good question. Um, I look at two things, um, whether we're on offense or defense. I always look at the back hip of the pitcher, um, which is kind of funny. I, not necessarily the result of the pitch, but I always look at what he's doing in the backside because um, that can tell you a lot with whether he's dipping or he's fatiguing or if, he, if he's transitioning into something that's maybe not necessarily good. and. Uh, the back hip can tell you a lot about a pitcher. Um, for a hitter, I always look at his, um, well, whether it's back hip, but maybe his hands, um, seeing whether he's, he's doing something different with, with way as he's tracking his hands. Um, uh, th- maybe the best answer to that question is sometimes I'll just look at the velo of the pitcher as well, because, as a trainer, which might sound a little weird to everybody who, who may be listening, is that if you, speak, if you see a spike in the pitcher's velo, that's actually a concern to me. Um, because if he's sitting 94, 94, 94, and all of a sudden he's sitting 96, 97, 98, and it's the same outing, you're like, ooh, yeah. that speaks a little concern to me because he's torquing his elbow a little bit more you might see an injury. Um, so, I mean, that might be the most interesting thing that I would look at because I'm looking at the velo. I'm like, ooh, that doesn't look good. <clears throat> well, Kyle, I'll tell you what, uh, congratulations on the new job. Uh, congratulations on being a part now of the Mariners organization. And you're going to fit right in with Robbie Nodine and Matty Toth and Ryan uh, Bitzel and James Clifford and the entire medical staff here in Seattle. We're happy to have you here and welcome back home, buddy. We'll see you down at spring training here in the next few weeks. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. I uh, I appreciate the time. You're welcome. Kyle Torgerson, the new head trainer for the Seattle Mariners. And coming up next here on uh, Hot Stove, we're going to visit with Brian McTaggart, who is from MLB.com down in Houston. So we got some questions for Brian. We'll be back with more here on Hot Stove right after this timeout. All things Mariners, all off-season. The Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. Say, friends, single-game tickets are on sale right now, which means you can purchase seats to some of the biggest games of 2020, including opening day, 
Series against the Yankees, Phillies, and World Series champion Washington Nationals, plus more fireworks show than ever before. Stop by Mariners.com today. Rick Riz along with Gary Hill and Dan Wilson. We have a very special guest on right now here in the first uh, hour of Hot Stove tonight. His name is Brian McTaggart from MLB.com. Covers the uh, Houston Astros and the big news over the last couple of weeks. Uh, General Manager Jeff Lunau getting fired. Uh, Manager A.J. Hinch getting fired along with Alex Corey in Boston. And Carlos Beltran, also the new manager, fired by the New York Mets with the cheating scandal that went on over the last uh, couple of years. So, Brian, thanks for coming on the program tonight. Good news today was the Hall of Fame, so we got away from that story for a while. But what in the world is going on with the Astros right now? How in the world do they recover? Who's going to manage the team and who's going to be the GM? So I'll kind of leave it out there for a, a bunch of things right now, Brian. Yeah, those are some uh, big questions. Yeah, we're we're three weeks from the start of spring training, and yeah, they're without a, a GM, without a manager, and really sort of a you know an unusual situation. I mean, they are in the thick of the managerial interviews right now. Mm-hmm. Owner Jim Crane is doing uh, at least one interview a day, pretty much for the last week or so. Uh, Dusty Baker was in here a couple of days ago. They're going to have Jeff Bannister tomorrow, of course, formerly the Rangers. Buck Showalter, John Gibbons. Um, have interviewed as well. Will Venables interviewed as well. So um, they're trying to get as many guys as they can and, and you know, see who wants to, you know, kind of enter a firestorm because this is a team that I think for the foreseeable future, wherever they go, there's going to be a cloud over them. I think the fans are going to give them a hard time. Um, it's just going to be something they're going to have to wear just with the report coming out that they, they stole signs electronically in 2017, the year they won the World Series, and then into 2018. So, you know, a lot of those players are still on this team, so it's it's just going to be a weird uh, a weird dynamic for sure. But they want to get the, the managers filled first just because they're so close to spring training. They just want to get the staff finalized, kind of get a vision for spring training, and then get the GM in place. You know, that's probably going to take a couple more weeks. We might be in Florida before that happens. But, you know, the roster is set for this year. Um, they do have a, a really, really good team coming back. I mean, the Astros could make another run at the World Series, despite losing Garrett Cole. I mean, they're still really good. So, yeah, this has been a really unusual offseason. And that's the interesting thing to look at in this situation, the short-term versus long-term, because you point out, I mean, the Astros are a World Series contender, no doubt about that. I think they're the favorites for the division once again. But you look at the scenario, you look at the list of managers that are being interviewed, they don't seem to match up with the front op- former front office approach, but not only is Luno no longer there, a couple of other assistants are no longer there. So that dynamic, I think, is pretty interesting when you look at it. And you know, at the end of the season, there's some big decisions coming with Springer, uh, free agency on the horizon, and Correa as well. Short-term versus long-term, how do you think they are looking at this situation, which is so tricky? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, they're going to be in a, a tough spot after this year. I mean, I think we all knew this year that the window is going to be wide open for them to contend again. But like you said, after 2020, um, Springer's going to be a free agent. In fact, their entire outfield is going to be a free agent. Springer, Brantley, Josh Reddick could all be gone. Mm-hmm. And then the year after that, Matt, now you're looking at Verlander and Granke, your two aces, and Correa as well. So, the payroll is already through the roof. I mean, they're already past the luxury threshold right now. I and mean, if you remember last year, they gave Alex Bregman a huge extension. The year before that, Alex, uh, Jose Altuve got a huge extension. You know, they re-signed Verlander, two years, $66 million before last year, traded for Granke, and he's making $30 million plus. So 
there's not a whole lot of wiggle room in the payroll, so they're not going to be able to keep all of these guys. And I think the biggest challenge going forward is to try to build through a farm system that has sort of been depleted the last few years. I mean, the Astros got to where they are in part because of their farm system, picking number one, you know, doing very well internationally. But they've traded away a lot of their chips in the last few years to get Derek Cole, to get Verlander, to get Granky. And now their farm system, as far as the depth of the talent, has slipped again, probably to the bottom half, maybe bottom third. And now you're without your first and second round draft picks the next few years because MLB took those away. So that's going to just make it even that much harder, I think, for them to rebuild their farm system. So the new GM is going to come in, and it's, it's going to be a, a fun year, I think, for him in 2020. But after that, he really has his work cut out for him. Brian, you've mentioned Garrett Cole a couple of times, and, and as a former catcher, being able to, to watch him, uh, particularly late September on into the playoffs where he was just dominant and just so locked in, uh, how, how do you replace that? I mean, that, that is such a, a huge piece of the starting staff that has gone. Like, what is the, the Astros' plan? How do you fill those shoes in the upcoming season? Yeah, well, I don't think you can. I mean, the the last two-thirds of the season that he had when he, you know, he made, I think, 16 uh, or what, 22 starts and didn't lose, uh, won 16 consecutive decisions. I mean, he was just unbelievable. You can't replace that. I think it was pretty clear when they traded for Zach Greinke at the trade deadline last year that Cole was probably gone. There was no way they could afford to keep both of those guys. So I think Greinke steps up a little bit, fills some of those shoes. Astros are getting one of their key starters back next year, or this year, uh, Lance McCullers Jr. He had Tommy John surgery after the 18 season, so he was out all last year. He's completely healthy, and he's back, so he's going to step in. You know, Maybe he takes up some of Cole's slacks, maybe between those guys. Uh, but still, uh, with what Garrett Cole did from May 22nd on to the end of the year was uh, a run like I've never seen. It was just unprecedented how dominant he was and just uh, and into the playoffs uh, with one little hiccup. But he was just absolutely dominant for four or five months and was right there just short of the Cy Young Award with Justin Verlander. So I don't think they can replace it, but they still have a chance to have a very good rotation. Verlander is as good as ever. You know, Granke's still humming along at, uh, you know, 35, 36. I think McCullers can come in and do a nice job. And, there, and there's some younger guys that, um, you know, like Jose Arquiti, we saw him throw five shutout innings in game four of the World Series. He's got a promising arm. They traded for Austin Pruitt. So it's not the rotation they had a couple of years ago when they had Morton, Keiko, Verlander, Cole, um, you know, this deep uh, rotation. But it is good enough. And with the lineup, it's, uh, they should be able to contend. Visited with Brian McTaggart from MLB.com, covering the Houston Astros and the big story a couple of weeks ago, a scandal over the cheating. And that, that's been something that's been going on in baseball. But players use their savvy, their expertise, and trying to steal signs and trying to get an edge. But this was a different story with the technology and even to bang it on a trash can. Um, how surprised were you, Brian? And when did you first hear about it? Because this was a shock to a lot of people in the baseball. Well, I first heard about it, I guess, shortly after the World Series ended. I mean, it was when uh, the, the report came out on the Athletic. I mean, we'd heard, you know, we'd heard things for a couple of years about the Astros. They had been written, you remember, in the playoffs against the Yankees. There was allegations that there was whistling going on. I think that was just gamesmanship. MLB investigated that. There was nothing. Um, you know, an Astros employee was caught filming the Indians dugout in the playoffs for the 28. I think it was 20, 2018. Um, MLB investigated that. It was nothing. You know, other players have made whispers about the Astros. So stuff had been brewing for a while. But, you, you know, you're right. This happens. This goes on. And a lot of different teams do different things. So mm-hmm. 
Um, but when that story came out in the athletic, it was, it was a bombshell. And the thing that made it a bombshell is you had a, a former player, Mike Fires, coming out and saying this happened. And I think that's what really took the seriousness up and caught the attention of Major League Baseball and allowed them to open an investigation. And, and since then, it's just dominated the headlines for the Astros. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was sort, of, sort of shocking when the report came out a week ago Monday, I, I think we knew that Hinch and, and Luna were headed for suspensions. We knew they were going to lose draft picks. But when Jim Crane took it a step further and fired them, I, I mean, yeah. I think everybody in the room was just uh, really aghast and um, just uh, just unprecedented punishment by MLB, and then the owner takes it a step further. I mean, it's been a glorious run for the Astros the last three seasons. I mean, two World Series, winning one of them, and the fans have come out. I mean, nearly $3 million the last couple of years. They seem to be caught up. And, you know, they didn't do anything, obviously. I feel bad for the fans in this situation. What has been the fan reaction in Houston to all of this? Yeah, I mean, I think there's different factions. I think there's a lot of the fans are like, uh, you know, 2017 happened. They celebrated. You can't take it away from us. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, the Yankees fans are getting involved with Astros fans on social media. and You know, it's kind of toxic. But I I think there are some fans are, are disappointed that, that uh, you know MLB came out and sort of proved that you know this happened and um, but there's nothing they can do. I mean it's you know that they're, they're not going to take the, the championship away. It's there and it's it's part of the Astros history. This is the golden era of Astros baseball. I mean three consecutive 100 win seasons, three division championships in a row. I mean they were eight out eight outs away from winning a second World Series, and now that's sort of been tarnished. I mean people are going to have questions about that 2017 team for probably uh, as long as we're all on this planet. And, uh, you know, it's just something that I think fans are going to have to compartmentalize and deal with. And the banner is going to be up there, the rings, the players are going to keep the rings, but uh, it's just something that um, there's going to be whispers about it. And, you know, I think what would really be best for the Astros and the players, of course, it may be easy to say, but if they come out this year and just, just win another world series, I mean, that's really hard to do, but if, if they, I think they're going to be, very highly motivated to show that, you know, they don't need to do this stuff to win. Yeah, they did it. Why they did it, I'm not sure. We haven't really heard from the players yet. But uh, but if they can go out and, and win a World Series this year and, and sort of thumb their nose at everybody at the establishment and say, you know what, we did it here, we did it the right way, maybe it will give some credibility, more credibility to that 2017, uh, 2017 team as well. Yeah, I was going to ask you, Brian, you, when will you hear from the players with spring training just right around the corner, and, and how do the players as a team try to move forward and try to get through all this? Yeah, Astros had their caravan last week where they sort of go around the city and the state promoting the team, and it, it was mostly guys who weren't here in 2017 and, and their prospects. Uh, the one player, the veteran player that was on it was Josh Reddick, and you know, he pretty much sidestepped questions, and then they had their, their fan fest on Saturday at Minute Maid, and again, it was mostly young players. Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman were there, did mm-hmm. talk to the media, but, you know, yeah. neither one would really talk Say about anything, the report yeah. or the allegations. Mm-hmm. So um, I think I think into spring training, I think we're going to see maybe the team get together in spring training and make some kind of statement before spring training gets started. I mean, I think somebody has to step up and say something, because the report is there, and it's true, and uh, you know, some people have gotten fired. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's been a, a pretty impactful thing that was player-driven. So I think it behooves the players to step up and say something. Yeah. And I, I'd be shocked if that doesn't happen. I don't know, individually, collectively. I don't know if they'll appoint a, a spokesman, but I think it, it should happen uh, early in spring training. Brian's a great follow on Twitter for anyone that wants to keep up with 
what's going on with the Astros at Brian McTaggart. Did I see? Did you track down Dusty Baker at the airport? Did I see that? Yeah, I did. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Good job. That's impressive. <laughs> you got him at the yeah, baggage carousel, uh, right? <laughs> yeah, he was at the baggage carousel. He had just flown into Houston from uh, his home in California. He was about to interview and uh, asked him if he'd be willing to talk. And uh, I'd never met Dusty Baker, but everyone said he's one of the nicest humans on the planet. And he couldn't have been nicer. He said, sure. And so we sort of went out to the side, and he gave me five minutes, and uh, he was fantastic. And uh, I think he, the next day he made a really, really good impression on, on owner Jim Crane as well. In fact, tonight Crane was in an awards banquet and uh, came out and said that Baker is at the top of the list as far as the guys that he's interviewed so far. And if you look at what Dusty Baker has yeah. done, um, you know, he, he managed Barry Bonds during all the steroid stuff. He's mm-hmm. managed four teams. He's a guy that's done everything. He's been through some turmoil. It could be exactly what they need. Exactly. Bring some integrity back and credibility. And a, and a guy that's been around the game a long time knows how to get through a lot of tough situations. This is definitely a tough situation. Dusty, would I think, would be a great hire. Brian, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, tough time down in Houston right now. We appreciate uh, your comments and uh, spending some time with us here on the hot stove tonight, buddy. All right. I appreciate you having me. All right, thank you so much. Brian McTaggart from uh, MLB.com covering the Houston Astros, and we'll be back with more here on Hot Stove right after this time out. This is the Hot Stove Report. Going, going, goodbye baseball. On 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle app. And welcome back to the second hour of Hot Stove Baseball tonight, live from our 710 ESPN studios here in Seattle, Washington. Rick Riz along with Gary Hill and, of course, Dan the Man Wilson, Mariners Hall of Famer. And I can't wait to get down to spring training here in the next couple of weeks. We just came back from sunny Arizona for the Mariners Fantasy Camp, Dan, and that was a lot of fun. It was awesome. It was awesome. But, like, i got to ask you. Yeah. CCR bringing us back. I love it. I, I got to believe you were a CCR fan at Southern Love Illinois it. University. Oh, yeah. I wanted the beard. <laughs> In Carbondale? I wanted the beard. You know, yeah. Beard. Oh, man, I'm, I'm playing the air guitar. <laughs> oh, yeah. Was a, that was a long time ago, buddy. Perfect. Who was, you, what was your favorite group uh, uh, back in your college? You days? know, U2 was really big because 87, which I think was their Joshua Tree Tour, which was my senior year in high school, and then they were pretty popular yeah. for a long time. I met time. Bono in Toronto. Did you? Yeah. Remember the rooftop bar at the hotel in yep. uh, downtown Toronto yeah. there? He was in yeah, it. He was up there, yeah. And I went up there, and he was up there with a bunch of people, and I walked up to him and just said, uh, or he was sitting there having a drink. I said, love your work. <laughs> <laughs> I have great. never heard this story. Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. It was <laughs> it's incredible. Bar on top of the, the roof, uh, rooftop bar, and a uh, really great bar. This guy was 80 years old as the bartender, Joe. I love this guy. And Bono was there. They have this big musical festival every year. The top bands in the in the world are there. Yeah, and he was he happened to be up there with, uh, I guess, his wife and and a bunch of other. Was people. the Edge there? Uh, I don't I don't know guitar player. I don't I don't <laughs> no? know. Edge, I don't know okay. I, that, that. Anyway, <laughs> we just got Dan and I just got back from uh, Peoria, where the Mariners had their annual fantasy camp, and Brian Holman does a great job. Taking it over from Dave Henderson, who uh, sadly passed away about five years ago, my buddy, and your friend as well. And uh, Brian has done a great job with the fantasy camp. The coaches were down there, the former players, Mike Moore, Brian Holman, Jeff Schaefer, the human fist, uh, uh, Arthur Lee Rhodes, uh, Gary Wheelock, 
and uh, Comstock we, and Keith Comstock, and we just had a great time. There were three teams, and there was one young man who I just fell in love with uh, for the joy of the game of baseball. His name is Derek Otto, twenty nine years of age, uh, autistic, Down syndrome, and he really made the camp come alive, didn't mm-hmm. he? He had so much fun down there, and he got a hit in the road game against the Dodgers in Glendale last Thursday night. And it was just amazing. It just warmed your heart to see this young man have so much fun and the other guys. There was a 27-year-old kid there, an 87-year-old guy from 27-87, but Derek Otto really grabbed our hearts, Dan. Yeah, you know, I was unfortunately only down there for like a day of, of fantasy camp, but just in that amount of time, just that short period of time, you could really tell uh, the impact that Derek had and had a chance yeah. to meet him, obviously. And, and uh, he'd just go around. He, he'd give fist pumps to everybody. Yeah. He was, he, you know, he and he and Arthur Rhodes, they they put the gun show gun out show, there. Guns up, baby. guns up. They said, but uh, it was just uh, he was had huge impact and uh, yeah. won his team's uh, jersey, and he just yeah. was such an uh, inspirational, emotional player for them. And it was it was really cool to see that and be a part of that. And and he mentioned the alumni guys, like you know, for yeah. me, it was great because you know I heard a lot of stories about Mike Moore, and but I've never really had a chance to to to, to see him yeah. and get to know him a little yeah. bit, so. It's nice to to get a little bit you know deeper contact with some of the alumni that are there, the, the coaching yeah. staff, and uh, it's just always great to see some of the the the, the beauty of of Mariners past. Exactly. And, and Arthur Rhodes didn't throw at any of the campers. Do I get? I'll tell I you what. I think he right? did. <laughs> yeah. I tell you what. Artie and Mike Moore, they were still bringing it a little bit. Well, I was surprised in the, in the campers game against the coaches they they let them have it yeah oh yeah you know they they still throw as hard as they can right now and i remember i used to play back in the day and, and there's mike moore throwing 88 miles an oh. hour you know to the campers yeah. and saying hey you want to be like a big leaguer you got your big league uniform on we're going to make you feel like a big leaguer <laughs> here comes 88 yeah. you know and uh and they take away so much you know these these folks they absolutely love the game of baseball they love the mariners organization they come down there and during the course of the week, they have their injuries. They pull muscles and everything, but they still go out there and play. There's Elise Thomases, who we just love, Elise. Uh, she's a season ticket holder. She's been to every camp. There's about four ladies who were there in camp. And the best part for me and for them is that they get a chance to sit and talk with you guys. Mm-hmm. They've watched you guys down through the years, and they get a chance to know Dan Wilson, uh, Mike Moore, and all these guys. They've watched them. And uh, we, we have a segment uh, during the week where we just sit down and tell stories. And then they get a chance to ask questions. And that's the best part, you know, yeah. for me. And they come away with a lifetime of memories during that special week. Yeah, it really seemed like by the end of the week, uh, it was such, you know, we talk a lot about family and, and you know, the Mariners organization being a family. Uh, but you really felt like this whole fantasy camp, the, the whole yeah. group of players, the whole group of coaches, Everybody that's involved with that just was one big family by the end, and yeah. and uh, that, that's always such a you know it just puts a smile on your face, and you know that's what that's the great thing about baseball it brings people exactly. together. That's the the camaraderie, and you know the stories get even better. Of course, you, I mean it, they get the a little stories stretched. become legendary, exactly, and and it's just uh, so much fun. And even Jeff Schaefer, who was here for three years, you know the guy that was the twenty fourth, twenty fifth on your team, but played so hard, made it to the big leagues. I love stories like that. He got emotional. Yeah, you he know, got really when, emotional when he gave you know one of his members yep. uh, his jersey because it sounded like you know he had some issues growing up family wise and he saw this this 
camper with his dad. Yep, father and son. At camp, and it really became very emotional for him. So it was a great time. It was a lot of fun. We had a great time being a, a small part of it, and uh, I can't wait till next year. Yeah, it's going to be great. Yeah. Coming up next here on uh, Hot Stove, we're going to visit with Bill Mitchell. Bill has come up with the top 10 prospect list in the Mariners organization. You're going to love talking to Bill. We're going to love talking to Bill right here, and you're going to hear some names that uh, these young players are going to be a part of the future, the very near future in the Mariners organization. We'll be back with Bill Mitchell and his top 10 Mariner prospects as Hot Stove continues after this timeout. Back to more of the Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. One-two pitch to Rodriguez, swinging a line shot, diving off the glove of Rondon at short. The ball gets out into left center field, and Julio Rodriguez hit a frozen rope and has himself a base hit. Rodriguez with a one-out single here in the bottom of the eighth inning, his first at bat. In a big league spring training game, a Cactus League game, remember <laughs> that name, Julio Rodriguez. Oh, that was a lot of fun. That was last spring uh, 2019. We had a chance to see that kid uh, finally get into a game, a Cactus League game. He got that base hit. And, uh, folks, you're going to be hearing about this kid in the very near future, Julio Rodriguez. Jared Kelnick as well, Evan White, who we talked about, Logan Gilbert, George Kirby, Justice Sheffield, and many, many others. Our next guest is from Baseball America. His name is Bill Mitchell. Welcome to the show, Bill. Rick Riz along with Gary Hill and Dan Wilson. Uh, You came up with the Mariners' uh, top ten prospects in the organization. There's so many good young players right now. And you kind of salivated between Julio Rodriguez, Jared Kelnick, 1-2-2-1, how tough was it to come up with your top guys in this organization right now? Well, first, thank you for having me again this year. I enjoyed it last year, and I'm glad to talk Mariners prospects with you. And even though I'm in Arizona, we kind of had a Seattle day here with uh, uh, cool weather and lots of rain, so uh, <laughs> I feel a little Seattle right. today. Uh, as far as the pick between Rodriguez and Kelnick, uh, that was this. I've been doing prospect rankings for various organizations for Baseball America for uh, probably close to a dozen years, and this was the closest, uh, the toughest decision to make uh, of any organization I've done over the years. Uh, probably if I had uh, polled 100 knowledgeable observers, it would have been 51 to 49. But at the uh, by the end. I felt that uh, we all felt that uh, putting Julio Rodriguez in his sky-high ceiling was the right choice. Uh, it's a good situation for the Mariners to have, a good problem to have, to have two really bona fide number one prospects. Well, Bill, you know, I, I'm interested in one of the picks for a little bit further down. I, you know, I love talking pitching. I love looking at young pitchers. And you have uh, a young Brandon Williamson down there in the ninth slot. Uh, you know, oftentimes guys come out of their college season uh, having thrown a lot of innings, and then uh, they get into rookie ball, and in his case, uh, going to Everett, and really only amassed about 15 innings of work. Um, it's interesting to see him on here. Obviously, he was he was impressive in those 15 innings, but when you look at somebody that's that got sort of that small of a body of work, how is it that, that uh, you see him, and what were the things that really stood out to you about it? Well, the Mariners are really high on him, and when you look at the fact uh, that uh, 
he transferred to Texas Christian, and in the, in the fall, he missed the fall season. He had surgery in both hips. Now, that scared a lot of teams away. Really, he was a first-round talent. Uh, the Mariners uh, are fortunate. They saw, they felt uh, uh, that the injuries would not be an issue. And uh, you could kind of say that they got two first-round picks this year by getting Williamson in the second round. Uh, he's um, He pitched very well in Everett in, in a small sample. Uh, but uh, he uh, – and I, I did see him last uh, – or last year, just in February, uh, pitching for Texas Christian when they came through uh, – a tournament in Arizona, and he's a big, lanky left-hander. Fastball gets up to 96, uh, and it's got really good life. So, uh, one of the things I pointed out in the uh, in his report was uh, he had a very high swinging strike rate, uh, uh, one of the best in the minor leagues. So he is certainly an interesting one, uh, uh, and it was an easy choice to put him on the top ten. Bill, you've done been involved in the Mariners top 10 for the last couple of years. How does the depth of this top 10 compared to the top 10 for the Mariners the last couple of years? Oh, it's definitely stronger. Uh, the, uh, I think, and, and really I'm going to say they're top 12 that, uh, they have. And you know, we put out a top 30 comes out in a prospect handbook that, uh, baseball America sells both through their website and then it shows up in bookstores. Uh, their top 12, I think, and I, I don't do, I only do one other organization, but I would say the Mariners top 12 probably ranks with just about any other organization, you know, especially with having players like Rodriguez and Kalanick at the top. Logan Gilbert did outstanding in his first year. Uh, Evan White did well enough that you know, the Mariners felt they needed to give him his major league contract now. So there's a lot of uh, good talent uh, in the top 12. It does drop off there some after that, although there is some interesting young talent and, and some uh, uh, relief help that could be on the way pretty soon in, in Seattle. Very impressed with uh, Jared Kelnick, who came over from the Mets uh, uh, a year ago in that, in that trade for Robbie Cano. Uh, we just saw a video of him hitting off a tee where a guy behind him with a throws a frisbee out towards second base. He hits the ball off the tee, and sure enough, it smacks the frisbee out there in shallow center field. He is a very talented I kid. Too. I can't. Yeah. I I can't tell you how he did that. Yeah, he was pretty excited, you know, when it, when he actually hit that thing. So he's got a lot of ability, obviously. Uh, top draft pick by the Mets, and and one of the best prospects, not only in the Mariners organization, but in all of baseball right now. What are you seeing from this kid, and what can Mariner fans expect from Jared Kelnick? He's going to move quickly. In fact, he did. He moved three levels this year. I would see yeah. him in Triple A this year. And will he get to the big leagues this year? I think it's not as much of a question of uh, will he be ready, but will the Mariners need him yet? Well, you know, do they need to rush him to the big leagues? But certainly, uh, he's a very, very natural hitter. Very smart hitter. Uh, he um, uh, very good plate discipline and uh, back back control. Uh, he's. Uh, I'm trying to think what else to say about him. He, you know, he's uh, you know, a, pen- a potential all star. Well, Bill, as I look at this list of top ten prospects, you know, I, I can't help but notice there's five position players, five pitchers. That's a pretty obviously a balanced uh, list. Is that something that's pretty usual? I, I know last year the draft was pretty pitcher-heavy uh, for the Mariners, but 
Um, is you know, is, is it usually a 50-50 split, or, or is this just uh, you know what, what the Mariners are showing at this current moment? It, it really depends on the organization. Uh, I don't know that you could say that uh, most organizations have a 50-50 split like this. When you look at, but they did go heavy on on pitching prospects, and there's a couple outside the top ten, uh, some college pitchers that they added, and then they have some Latin pitchers that uh, will are further away, but uh, have a lot of potential. When you look at this top ten during the course of this season, there'll probably be a guy or two that that drops off the list because they become major leaguers. Evan White is certainly a candidate for that. Who are kind of the next couple of guys below the top ten that Mariner fans should know about? Well, and if I look at their top, what I consider their top 12, I think it's pretty certain that five of those are going to drop off. Mm. Uh, you've got to look at Sheffield, uh, almost uh, doesn't qualify anymore. He's just a few innings short. Justin Dunn will probably get to the big leagues. Kyle Lewis, uh, the left field job uh, for him is uh, his to lose. And uh, Evan White with the major league contract will probably be up there. And then there's Jake Fraley. He's outside the top yeah. 10. Uh, some other interesting talent, uh, there, there's a pitcher they took in the, uh, I think he was in the compensation round, Isaiah Campbell out of Arkansas. He did not pitch at all last year. Uh, he's a big, big right-hander, did very well in the College World Series. Uh, he's noted for his physicality. So uh, I'm real curious to see how he's going to do this year. He may not move as fast as some of the other guys, uh, but uh, actually he may. Now that I think about it, he's uh spend enough time at Arkansas, got a lot of uh, uh, advanced competition in the SEC. So I think he goes straight to full season ball this year and skips over ever. I think good. Uh, started... There are also a couple of uh, no couple Latin prospects I'm eager to see when spring training comes around that we're in the Dominican Summer League. Uh, there's one named Jonathan Classe who's already the fastest runner in the organization, uh, but he's very raw. Tell me about the Marte kid, too. Uh, he was down at the Dominican Summer League and a shortstop, and we've heard a lot of good things about uh, this kid, Marte. He was the top prospect in the Dominican Summer League. Uh, he's been a shortstop, uh, but uh, he's growing big. Uh, where he's going to wind up, it really depends on how much bigger he gets. He's close to 200 pounds now, and it's, it's a solid 200 pounds. Uh, he, uh, he had some throwing issues. Early earlier in the year at the Dominican Summer League, but they worked that out. There were some concerns he'd have to move to the outfield, but now they think Mariners think that he can stay in the infield. Um, if I was a betting man, I'd say he winds up at third base eventually. But uh, he's going to follow in the footsteps of Julio Rodriguez. He's not. I don't think he's going to move as fast as Julio because there's a little more involved with playing the infield. They need to probably move him a little slower, but. Um, He's he's a he's another one with a very high upside. Bill, I noticed on of the five position players in that top ten, no catchers. Uh, You're killing me, Bill. You're killing me. But I know there is one that's just outside that top ten. Can you talk about Cal Raleigh a little bit? I I figured you'd bring up Cal Raleigh. Yes, right. (laughs) He is just outside the top ten. I don't want to have too many spoilers for our prospect handbook, but. He and Jake Fraley are the, the two that are just outside the top ten. Uh, Raleigh started out the year in high A, hit very well there. Went to double A, struggled a little bit, not as, as much. He's a big-bodied catcher, 
the what we want to see with him, you know, he's got a lot of power from a switch hitter, and uh, there's value in in that. Uh, catching is a tough position, and there just aren't as many catchers out there as teams need. It seems. But uh, what scouts that I talk to, the concern they have is how's he going to handle the better velocity when he gets, you know, continues in double A, gets to triple A, and gets to the big leagues. That's the big thing to watch out for him. I'm glad you brought up the handbook. I recommend that to everybody. That's a, it's, I pick it up every year. It's a fantastic read. Uh, I'm really excited about George Kirby, who was always known as a control guy. You look at his college numbers, they're eye-popping. He didn't walk anyone, and that was Literally, nearly almost, didn't walk anyone. But the velocity really stood out, too. Touched 98 in his pro debut. He seems really impressive. Yeah, uh, six batters he walked in 88 innings in college, which is incredible. But then he comes into pro ball and doesn't walk anybody in 23 innings. Uh, and he's not just a soft-tossing pitchability guy. You Like you said, he was up to 98. That's higher than he was in college, and they attribute that to the fact that he was working in shorter stints there and could air it out a little better. He's probably going to sit more like 92, 93, 94, uh, and touching 95 or 96, but uh, there's still some growth, too. He's um, a tall, lanky guy, so there's potential for him to get stronger and, and get to that velocity more regularly, and he's He's got four pitches that are all that will all be average or better. So that uh, he, obviously uh, in his first year, moving all the way up to the fifth in the organization, that's pretty good. Yeah, he's going to be a good one once he gets here, and he's going to be a good one for a long time. Visiting with Bill Mitchell from Baseball America. Bill, one, one name I keep hearing about over the last year is a reliever by the name of Sam Delaplane. a uh, kid that can throw hard and, and has had success down in the minor leagues and uh, what have you heard from Sam uh, Delaplane? He really surprised me this year. And if you, you want to look at uh, eye-popping numbers, you look at the strikeout totals he had this year. And he's been in the organization for a few years. He was a 23rd-round pick out of uh, Eastern Michigan uh, three years ago and really didn't distinguish himself, kind of more under the radar. He's a 5'11 right-hander, uh, so he gets compared at least size-wise and, and yeah, a uh, shorter guy with a big arm. He gets compared to like uh, Craig Kimbrell, uh, wow. Greg Holland. Um, but he was up to, in both um, high and double A. He was up to the uh, touching 98. He was very good in the Arizona Fall League, too. Uh, he has a deceptive delivery. Uh, it's a high three-quarters delivery. And then he's got a uh, hard slider that gets um, very high spin rates. But uh, he averaged 15 strikeouts per nine innings yeah. throughout, and that's been throughout his minor league career. That's amazing. Well, I'll tell you what, Bill, well, we appreciate uh, you know what you have done. You know, rating uh, not only just the Mariners organization, our top ten prospects, and also a few other organizations as well. And I've been telling a lot of fans, hey, the kids are coming, you know, and the kids are coming from A ball to Double A AA to Triple A into the big leagues, and we've seen it. Uh, this past season with a number of young players getting here, Justice Sheffield and Justin Dunn. That's why I'm looking forward to spring training to seeing these kids and, and who the kids, what kids, uh, you know, step up this year. So, Bill, thanks a lot for being with us tonight and give us a, a look into the future of this franchise. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. Bill Mitchell from Baseball America and his top ten prospects in the Mariners organization. We'll be back with more here on Hot Stove along with Gary Hill. Dan Wilson, I'm Rick Riz. We'll be back after this timeout.
All things Mariners, all off-season. The Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. He gets Larry Walker. (laughs) I told you to hit right-handed. We were talking about it before the game. He batted right-handed earlier in the year in batting practice. And here he is. He's going to face him right-handed. Why not? (laughs) Just turn it around. Why not? He looks like a catcher hitting. A lot of people don't remember that these two are former teammates coming up through the Expos organization. And now he's back to the left side. And Walker is hitting 398 on the season. And a two-out walk. So Walker reaches base. After that first pitch, it was like the flyby here right after the anthem. A big sight game here. Randy Johnson throws the ball over Larry Walker's head just like he did to John Crump. And that was an all-star game performance. Randy Johnson uh, facing uh, Larry Walker, who was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame by the Baseball Writers Association. Congratulations to Larry Walker and Derek Jeter, one vote shy of being a unanimous choice. So congratulations to Derek Jeter as well. Tell me a little bit about Larry Walker, Dan. Tough out, you know, had a chance to play against him a little bit coming up with Cincinnati and uh, just a real balanced hitter, you know, and, and uh, you know, take away Colorado. I, it doesn't matter to me. He was just a really, really good player, a guy that, uh, you know, as a hitter was dangerous, uh, was in the middle of a really tough lineup, and, and uh, he just uh, carried the weight there. Hit the ball for power, uh, not afraid to hit the ball all over the field, which was great, and, and uh, you know, to, to put up a lot of big numbers, you know, with that organization over a long period of time, is you know he was just a, a very well respected player. I mean, he was a guy uh, nobody wanted to face, uh, and so you know, I don't. Randy didn't want to face him that night. I mean, <laughs> let's be honest. So, uh, but uh, you know, obviously, uh, congratulations to Larry Walker to Derek Jeter. I mean, this is this is the 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 best of the best, and and Larry was certainly one of them. It was so close. Walker just getting in, but you know he's a 300, 400, 500 guy. I mean, the slash line is awfully impressive, and yeah, he did spend half his career in Colorado, but uh, seven gold gloves, I think, are often yeah. overlooked, and you know, if you're going to look at his offense with some suspect because of playing in Colorado, I think he should get even more credit for his defense in Colorado, because as an outfielder, that's not an easy place Amen. to play, yeah. because you know, it's Colorado's always looked at as a place where home runs get hit, but that outfield is it's, enormous. It's enormous. You got to cover enormous. a ton of yeah. ground. That is not easy. And that right center area is particularly yes. ginormous. And so, yeah, he had to really cover a lot of ground out there. That's a great point. Yeah, that outfield has two zip codes. Yeah, I mean, there's <laughs> so much space uh, between the outfielders. I, I, I just don't want to see anybody get uh, not a credit for the ballpark that he played in. Or too much credit right. for the ballpark he played. He he hit the ball out of the ballpark. He hit 300. He had Edgar Martinez numbers, as, as Gary mentioned, 300, 400, 500, yeah. average on-base percentage and slugging percentage. This guy passed my test, which was number one is the eye test. You know, was he the dominant player at his position during the decade in which he played? Those yeah. are the things that I look at. And fortunately now, for the guys that are kind of like on the bubble, we have the analytics and thank goodness the the writers took a look at those to get right. Edgar in finally in his 10th try. And Larry Walker finally in his 10th attempt 
And I think the writers kind of have some urgency, too, when they see guys like that who deserve to be in. Finally, get them in there because they deserve to be in there like Edgar last year. Yeah, and, you know, something that Joe Buck said, I think it was Joe Buck that was on mm-hmm. the call there. Yeah. It was really interesting, and we started to talk about it a little bit. He mentioned Larry Walker coming up with the Montreal Expos. They, you know, that organization has turned out a lot oh. of Hall of Fame players, and it's really it's have. pretty it's pretty phenomenal uh, when you look at a lot of the guys that started with Montreal that ended up in the Hall of Fame. And we 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 nailed off we railed off about six or seven names, yeah. and uh, it's it's pretty phenomenal to to see that. Yeah, I spent three years in the Expos organization at Double A. In 1978, 79, and 80, there was so much talent that came through there Yeah, at that time. Tim Wallach, our little second baseman, was Tim Raines. Uh, and then eventually he went up to Denver, AAA Denver. They put him in the outfield next year. He's in the big leagues with Montreal. But there was a lot of talent yeah. that came through there. Mike Blowers. Yeah, yeah. I, I think about that 94 Expos team a lot. Yeah. And that happened to be Larry Walker's last year with the Expos. But you think about 1994 with the strike. I mean, they were seventy four and forty. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. At that point, and they were going to win the World Series I mean, that year. You look at the the top three in the rotation: Pedro Martinez, <laughs> Ken Hill, Jeff Vicero. At the time, that was it's a yeah. really nice three. Yeah. And the outfield of Larry Walker and Marquis Grissom, Grissom and yep. Alou. I mean that they had a ton of talent on that team, and they they had a chance to win it all that year. Obviously, and you just wonder how things would have played out. Uh, in Montreal, had they gone on a run like that, maybe won a World Series or made a deep playoff run and yeah. able to put a couple of years like that together. Felipe Lou was our manager in 1978, and I talked to him later on. He said, had it not been for the strike, we would have won the World Series. Yeah. He said, we were the best team in baseball, and the strike really hurt the Expos more than anybody, and eventually they moved to Washington yeah. and became the Nationals. That's right. why I was happy for the Nationals. Yeah, exactly. It was, it was, they're the old Expos franchise. Yeah. They had never been there, you know? And uh, so that was good to see. But uh, I'm I'm very happy for Larry Walker. And Ryan Dempster said something on uh, the Major League Baseball Network uh, this morning. He grew up in Canada, too. He said to see somebody from Canada who mm-hmm. played hockey but went to baseball gave us, you know, the hope and thrill and the dream that we could, you know, play in the big leagues, too. And it's nice to have that kind of impression to be that kind of player, junior, so much fun to watch. Oh yeah, the way that he played the game, and you know, I want to be Ken Griffey Jr. A lot of kids grew up wanting to be Ken Griffey Jr. And Larry Walker, I think, had that impression on a lot of kids in Canada. Yeah, I mean, you know, he obviously represents a, a bigger area than just uh, where he grew up. I mean, he, he's right in the whole country representing them, and and uh, you know, fitting that we've been talking about Montreal because uh, you know where he got his start there in Canada, and and it it, it is it's a big moment for them, obviously. Uh, and and uh, just a great moment for Larry Walker, well-deserved, and uh, uh, it's going to be an exciting time for him. I want to talk about a few guys. Omar Vizquel got 50% of the vote. He has been trending up over the last couple of years, third year on the ballot. To me, Omar was the best defensive shortstop I've ever seen, played more games than anybody at that position, including my hero growing up, Louis Aparicio, Everybody that's played the most positions, most games at their position are all in the Hall of Fame except left field and shortstop. That's Omar Vizquel and Barry Bonds. And what do you think about Omar's chances? I think eventually over the next three, four, five years, Omar's going to get in. I And I think he has a great shot with the Veterans Committee if it doesn't work out with yeah. the voters. Yeah. Uh, so I think one way or another we'll see Omar Vizquel in the Hall of Fame. I think – 
the advantage that some of the high risers have, you know, guys at the top that got a lot of votes like Schilling and Viscal and Scott Rowland, I think, is, is a good candidate moving forward. Yeah. Uh, on the ballot next year, there's no one that, to me, when I look at it, is going to make it on their first ballot next year. Probably the best players that will be on the ballot for the first time next year be Torrey Hunter, Tim Hudson, Mark Burley. That's kind of the best. And none of those three strike me as, as first-time guys. And what that does really opens it up for the guys already on the ballot with a large percentage. And I think that only helps uh, the guys at the top uh, to push them over. And, you know, after we saw Walker, it's pretty amazing. And we've seen it, we saw it with Edgar and we saw it with Walker make really big mm-hmm. leaps in terms of percentage of votes that hadn't necessarily yeah. happened down through the years, but we've seen it a couple years in a row now. So you wonder with guys in shouting range, you know, like Omar and even Scott Rowland, who only got 35%, but the case can be made there that they can make really big leaps mm-hmm. next year and the year yeah. after to push themselves over the top. And Omar, obviously, just his third year on the ballot. Uh, and, and he's still around the game. He's been in the game, so I think that helps as well. You know, Rick, you mentioned the eye test. He passes the two tests that I have. Any shortstop that can end a no-hitter with a barehanded play <laughs> and any shortstop that can turn around and catch a fly ball with his back to the infield, yeah, he makes it in my book. So I, I'm with yeah. you on the defense. He was unbelievable what he could do with a glove and, and uh, was really offensively, uh, was a pretty, you know, obviously the power wasn't there necessarily for him. I mean, he hit the ball out of the ballpark, but not, you know, obviously at, at, a, at a huge clip. But uh, he was a very balanced offensive player. He hit the ball yeah. all over the place. He could player. run a little bit. He could really handle the bat and bunt. Oh. He was he was a nightmare on the bases. I mean, this is a guy that, uh, you know, he made you bring your A game every night when he was on the field. Yeah. He almost, you know, took over in my heart. From Louis Aparicio. That's how good Omar Vizquel yeah, was. Right. Uh, but what I was so impressed with Omar, watching him play shortstop every day, was the transfer of the ball out of the glove. It seemed like the ball never touched his glove, especially turning a double play when he took a throw from the second baseman. That ball was just redirected out of the glove into the hand, and that ball was on its way to first base. Did the same thing fielding a ground ball. And then, like you said, the bare hand chop over the middle. Ernie Riles, Boston Red Sox, two outs. In the ninth inning of the Kingdom of Basio's no-hitter, cuts across the infield, barehands the ball, and throws Riles out at first base to complete the no-hitter. And it was like <laughs> nothing to it. Yeah, You know, he, and, and this is the kid, you know, talking with Omar, this is a kid who grew up in Venezuela and took a milk carton and, and uh, formed a, a glove out of it. And that's how he started catching baseballs with a, with a milk carton. But I love it. The other guy that I was so impressed with today got one vote. <laughs> Our buddy. Raul Ibanez got one vote today for the Hall of Fame, so I texted him. I said, way to go, buddy. I said, you're a Hall of Famer. That's really cool. That is. It is cool. He got a vote. Yeah. Yeah, and he texted me back. He said, thanks a lot, Rick. (laughs) (laughs) I said, you're a Hall of Famer in my book. Raul Ibanez, way to go, Raul. Got one vote for the the Hall of Fame. I think that's great. Yeah, me too. So I think that was a lot of fun. But congratulations to Derek Jeter and to Larry Walker and to Ted Simmons, Marvin Miller. They're going in. Uh, from the, what is it, the Modern Day Committee yeah. that voted them in. I'd love to see Lou get in, uh, hopefully in the next yeah. uh, couple of years. And uh, also... Lou got a job. Yes, broadcasting for the yeah, Cubs. Yeah, he's going to do some Cubs oh, games this year. There you go. I did that? not see not, that. Not too many, like 15 or so. But, good for him. Yeah. 
Oh, I think that's, that's great. great. That's his seventh job in baseball. Or, <laughs> you know, player, coach. Did you say coach. seventh decade or seventh yeah. job? Uh, maybe seventh yeah. decade. Manager, general manager, you know, and, and now a broadcaster on the Cubs Network. He, yeah. How much fun are they, those fans going to oh, have there? Absolutely. I, I tell you oh, what, love they him. love him. Let me just jump in here real he quick yeah. because you did mention Marvin Miller. Obviously a guy that, you know, who started the Players Association, and yeah. I'd be remiss if I didn't say how much respect he had in the game. Uh, you know, you talk to a lot of the old timers and just, um, you know, the way he, he brought the, the the Players Association and brought the players together, um, you know, was was it's a landmark. I mean, he was he was the, the, at the beginning, uh, did it the right way. And, um, you know, just uh, congratulations. I think that's well deserved. Yeah. Um, and uh, and it's it's too bad he won't, you know, be able to yeah. accept it. But. Uh, Marvin was just a, yep, absolutely, but Marvin was was pretty phenomenal. He deserved it. The impact on the game. I mean, yeah, I mean, he's remarkable. That's why Buck O'Neill should be in, and it's why others should be in too. Oh. I mean, you look at the impact of the game to the yeah. game. Travesty. Yeah, that Incredible. Buck O'Neill is not in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Buck O'Neill kept the history of the Negro Leagues alive. Was a player for the Kansas City Monarchs a manager, but he, what he did for the history of the game of baseball should be in the Hall of Fame. He's Absolutely. got a statue in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, mm-hmm. He has a little statue in the Hall of Fame. Buck O'Neill should be in there. He got 17 members of the Negro Leagues into the Hall of Fame about seven or eight years ago. He should be in the Hall of Fame. But congratulations to the guys who got in. And now, coming up here. Right now. In yeah. the, right now. Right now. Because Hawks segment. in, too. Hawk. Who we not about. You can put him yeah, on the board. You can put him yes. on the board. Yes. I love Hawk. He's been one of our oh, favorites to talk to uh, for years. Yeah. Ken Harrelson, the longtime broadcaster for the Chicago White Sox. Great hitter, first baseman, outfielder for the Kansas City A's and the Boston Red Sox. Here is Ken Harrelson talking about Edgar Martinez going into the Baseball Hall of Fame. The year 2000 was a tremendous one for the Seattle Mariners and Edgar Martinez. The M's finished 91-71, and 71, second in the American League West and capturing the American League wild card. In 2000, Edgar Martinez continued his reign of terror on the American League, once again one of the most feared hitters in all of baseball. Swung on and belted deep to center field. Bernie Williams looks up, and this will fly, fly away. Edgar Martinez has just given the Mariners a 5-2 lead. Dead center field, no doubt about it. Edgar Martinez has stuck everybody's finger here, 47,000 of them, into a 110-volt outlet. They are going crazy. Edgar batted 324 with a 423 on base percentage and slugged 579. He walloped 37 home runs. He crushed 31 doubles, and he drove in 145 and, again, mixed in 96 walks. Another Hall of Fame-type season and the Hall of Fame career of Edgar Martinez. And in the 2000 playoffs, the Mariners would meet the mighty Chicago White Sox, led by a Hall of Famer of their own in Frank Thomas. The Big Hurt, the White Sox 95-67, and 67, AL Central champions and host to the Mariners in the first round of the 2000 playoffs. Game one would take place in Chicago, and Edgar Martinez, one of his finest moments in his career. Here's the story as told by legendary White Sox broadcaster 
Ken Hawk Harrelson. Edgar was a smart hitter. All those guys were smart. You don't you don't do all the things these guys did just on talent. You got to be smart, and that's where Edgar was. He was one of the smartest hitters that I've ever seen. And remember in 2000, you guys came in to play us in, in Chicago, right? Mm-hmm. And remember Mike Cameron, first game. Mike Cameron got on first base. Cameron steps back in. Here's the stretch by Folk and the 0-1 on the way. Swing and a line drive. Base in the left field. Mike Cameron with a leadoff single beyond the reach of shortstop Jose Valentin. And the Mariners get the go-ahead run aboard on the single by Mike Cameron. I was watching the game with my wife. I said, honey, he's going to run. He's going to be out of here. Well, he, he doesn't run on first pitch. I think Keith Folk was pitching. One on and one away. The go-ahead run is on at first base. Now the sent by Folk and the right-handers. Another move to first base. And Cameron is back one more time. So Edgar Martinez having to be very very patient here in the top of the 10th inning. So now Lou comes walking out. He's got his hands in his back pocket like he always did, you know, walking out. <laughs> Sauntering. He goes up and he gets, walks right past Johnny Moses, the first base coach. Goes right up in, the, I mean, in Mike's face and says something. And now timeout is called. Lou Pinella out of the dugout. He's going to go over and take a little walk over toward first base. And he wants to have a talk with Mike Cameron. So Lou Pinella talking things over with Cameron. Mike, message received, turns around, goes back to the bag, and Lou Pinella heads on back over to first base. So I don't, I've, I've never seen Lou call timeout and go t- call time and talk to the runner at first. Have you yeah. ever seen that? Nope. <laughs> That's a first for me. And he turns around and walks back. Harris said to me, my wife said, what would he say? I said, honey, I got no idea. So now... The next pitch is a pitch out. Here's the stretch. He stays pitch out by Paul. So the White Sox wanted to take a look. Thinking, okay, he maybe missed a couple sides along the way. And Lou says, hey, I want you to run. But uh, not going to have anything out with that pitch. And now Edgar's out in front of the count of two balls and no strikes. Edgar was the hitter. And you know what happened. You can put it on the board, yes. The stretch and the 2-1 to Edgar. Swing and a line drive. Deep to left field. This ball is gone. Goodbye baseball. Line drive. Home run. Edgar Martinez. Holy smoke. It's the Mariners 6 and the White Sox 4 here in the top of the 10th inning. I can't stand it. I, 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 the game's over. Gabe Morrell was visiting clubhouse guy. I called the clubhouse. I said, Gabe, is Lou in his office? He said, no, it's here. I said, have him call me when he comes in. So a few minutes later, Lou calls. We're in Orlando. I said, Lou, what in the hell did you say to Mike when you were out there? He started laughing. He goes, Hawks, this is the playoffs, you know. He says, got to pull out all the stops. He said, I went out and told Mike, Mike, the NASDAQ is up and the Dow is down. <laughs> I said, you son of a gun. You wanted to pitch out. You wanted the 2 old count to Edgar, didn't you? He goes, well, this is the playoffs. Lou, this is Dave upstairs. What What were you talking to Cameron about over there? What did you, you call time to go over and talk to you? Miss a sign or what? I told him that the NASDAQ was down 113 <laughs> and Cisco stock was great by right now. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, Edgar, Edgar. I used to love to watch that man hit. You know, I don't judge hitters. on The most misleading average uh, number in baseball is batting average. Don't tell me what a guy hits. Tell me when he hit it. I want to know how was he in the seventh, eighth, and ninth innings. Yeah. Edgar was the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning hitter. One of the best I have ever seen. 
And uh, I am so happy for him because he was – I look at players, were they an asset or were they a liability? We all know what he was. He was an asset to the game of baseball. A great gentleman, and I'm just so happy for him. And Edgar's home run would lead the Mariners to a game one victory over Chicago. Sasaki the stretch. Again, the 2-2 pitch. Splitter swing and a miss, and it's over. The Mariners win it 7-4 over the Chicago White Sox here at Comiskey Park to take game one of this best of five divisional series. And the game one win propelled the Mariners to a three-game sweep over the White Sox. Here comes the stretch and Folk is 0-1 pitch on the way to Carlos. There's a bunt up the first baseline. The Mariners are on their way to the American League Championship. A beautiful bunt by Carlos Guillen. The Mariners sweep the Chicago White Sox. My, oh my! I don't believe it! That was incredible uh, to relive those moments, and it was great to hear from Ken Harrelson going into the Baseball Hall of Fame in the broadcast wing along with Dave Niehaus, who went in back in 2008. Great stories right there, and Lou Pinella had his hands on both those big plays. Cameron on at first base, never seen a manager call time, go out and talk to a runner at first to get Edgar a 2-0 count, a pitch out to go to 2-0, then Edgar hits the home run. Lou had his hands all over that, and then... The bunt by Carlos Guillen, he walks out toward home plate, Danny. You were there, and he says, bunt it to Thomas at first. He's either not going to catch it or throw it home, and uh, Ricky Henderson's going to score. Yeah, Frank obviously was was known to to not want to throw the ball. You, you saw him when he threw the ball back after a pickoff attempt to the pitcher. He could hardly throw it. He knew all he had to do was get it in the neighborhood of Frank yeah. Thomas, and the game was over. And, you know, that's the, it's the type of manager Lou was. He had great vision. And, uh, you know, he, he did it with a little flair, too, a little humor. Really you got to love it. Oh, man, that was fun. Oh, uh, the hot stove continues. We'll be back with a final comment after these messages. Back to more of the hot stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. Say, friends, sign up your little sluggers for the 2020 Mariners Kids Club. MVP members are only $25 and include a Mariners backpack and cap. Mini Moose Bobblehead, $1 ticket vouchers, and exclusive MVP experiences. Plus, new this year, MVP members will receive 10% off select kids apparel at Mariners Team Stores. Register today at Mariners.com slash kids. Great show tonight on Hot Stove. Gary Hill, great show. Thanks for producing a wonderful program tonight. Had great guests, and it was, it was fun. a lot of fun. It was a yeah. lot of fun. And Dan the Man Wilson, thanks for joining us this evening on Hot Stove. I can't wait to... See you down at spring training. When are you going down there? I'll uh, be down there February 8th. So uh, we have some meetings, and then we crank it up. So it's going to be really exciting. Great to see and the kids. thanks, Rick. It's always a pleasure in here. We, we couldn't end the program without that. From Dan, the man Wilson, Mariners Hall of Famer. For Gary Hill, Jr., for Dan, the man Wilson, I'm Rick Riz saying so long, everybody. We'll see you next week on Hot Stove. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. 
So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 